0: Welcome to Hoof on the Till, our weekly look at all things racing. Helen Thomas and Max Pressner with you. And Max, a lot of people believe this is Australia's most exciting race day with the running of the $20 million Everest, obviously the richest race in Australia and indeed the richest race on turf in the world. Caulfield Guineas is also being run, one of your favourite race meetings, I know. Where do you stand on this? What's your perspective? Are you excited?
1: Yes, I'm excited about the races, uh, if not the recent politics that have come into it, uh, Helen, so why don't we get into the, the people that matter?
0: We will, Max, we will. But, of course, the politics you're referring to has been covered in the past week in a series of articles run in The Guardian newspaper written by journalist Anne Davies. And the most prominent headline was The Race That Split Australia, How the Everest Triggered a Bitter New South Wales-Victorian Feud. And Shelley Hancock's racing commentator and leading syndicator, will join us a little bit later in the show to flesh out some of the issues that were touched on by The Guardian. But first, let's get to it. James Cummings is with us from Godolphin. James, good to have you on the show. Thanks, Helen. Nice to be back.
2: Well, James, of
1: course, the the Everest is the major point of interest uh, this weekend. Uh, You've got two runners uh, in secret, a mayor about to be the first mayor to win the Everest, and, of course, uh, the three-year-old Cylinder. Firstly James how do you think the 3 year olds compare with the older horses so far this season and i know it's only early
2: Well that's a difficult question to answer other than i will say this Last weekend i had one winner in Sydney and two winners in Melbourne my my only winner in Sydney was uh, was a 3 year old running against older horses but in a handicap and the the new the evolution of the weight system Lately, is that, is that we can run three-year-olds with great weight allowance against older horses on a, on a weekend. And my three-year-old only carried 52 kilos. And he made use of that by winning narrowly against a, a Matthew Smith-trained older horse. So uh, from time to time, we've seen the three-year-olds prevail against the older horses. And uh, and yet, it is the most interesting story of all every season when we do have the nerve to race three-year-olds at weight bread Weight rage for age against the, the older horses and to see how they measure up. So my best guess is these horses are going to be fine. At the moment in this Everest, we've got three-year-olds that ran the Quinella in the Golden Slipper. And I think you'll have to wait a long time before you get the opportunity to see that again. You know, it's a pretty rare setup. And, uh, and I'd like to think both of them are capable of running good races.
1: James, you've got a comparison as far as the Everest is concerned because Bivouac was a very good second to classic legend Now, how would you compare cylinder to bivouac
2: i feel like if cylinder had bivouacs run in the golden rose cylinder would have won that race and i take no credit away from Militarise because at the end of the day militarized Mil- Militarize has won three big ones and cylinders run won none but you asked me the question i would say cylinder could have won bivouacs race look i think look i think cylinders not whilst he hasn't done it yet, uh, he he's he's got the potential to get to that level, and uh, any supporters of cylinder are supporting that horse on the on the basis of the, what potential he's he's um, he's promising to deliver on, and uh, and you, you know you can't help but look at that race and think, well, this is the race where that he could do it.
0: And James is quite a uh, he's quite a horse, isn't he? He's quite a stoic horse because, as a two-year-old, he actually broke his jaw. Now I know that's been reported, but I don't know that we've really taken. In what that actually meant for the horse,
2: I mean, yeah. Look, that that wasn't ideal, and it was it was covered off at the time. But you know what you say makes me think a little bit of the quality of the horse that James Harron likes in, in him, and that is that he has he has raced in the hardest races we could find, and he's uh, and he's, he's come through the other side. He's trained on as a young three year old. You know, going hammer and tong in a golden slipper can take it out of a lot of horses. But um, you know, but there he is. Winning his first two runs back this prep, he was, like I, like I maintain, he's a touch unlucky not to go into this race undefeated this prep.
0: James, several weeks ago you made the comment, I think, in the Sydney Morning Herald that you were urging your team to approach this spring as underdogs, and that, of course, relates to the fact that your number one seed, in a sense, Animo, retired to stud last season. Is that still the case? Is that still your perspective?
2: Yes. We have to we have to remember that small fish makes sweet eating. But we also need to um, go. We need to go for it when we think we're we're in with a chance, and that's the attitude we've taken with this year's Everest. Um, you know, we've diligently planned the preparation of in secret. She's going to arrive here third up with a month between runs, and try to be the first man to win the race. Whilst disheartened with the, the wide barrier draw, we are. You know, we're enthused with the prospect that we've got Hong Kong's leading rider Zach Burton flying over to ride the horse. And uh, and and he he might be able to put her in a position and follow the right horses through to, to be within the um, within the required margin to be competitive and winning the race. And and we've also we've also got our three year old year cylinder who missed out on winning the Golden Rose, but he gets one more chance in a major before the very important Cornwall Stud Stakes up the straight at Flemington. And the spacing of the, this program allows him to do that. And the staff and the whole team behind these horses have worked very hard, knowing we're the underdogs, and approaching it on on, on that basis. And the horses have been racing accordingly.
0: James, you just just quickly, you you touched on um, heading towards Melbourne a little bit later this spring. Uh, I'm wondering what you make of the meeting at Caulfield on Saturday. Of course, it's the the famous Caulfield Guineas. The Scalacci stakes, in which you're running, ingratiating. I mean, there is a split, isn't there, in focus now and in activity in terms of the Everest and the King Charles being in Sydney and the, those races we just mentioned being in Melbourne. What's your your view about that? Is that a is that a positive thing? Do you miss the Corfield Guineas being such a great standalone meeting in a sense?
2: Look, the first year of the Everest, I was in I was in Melbourne and I, I settled up for Guineas, and that meeting was a great meeting to be at. Um, and I heard and I heard. I heard very positive things about the crowd and the, the the way they embraced the new concept of the Everest and the meeting that was held in Sydney. Uh, you know, I was only speaking to a to a prolific owner of horses yesterday, uh, Peter Cook, who told me that he reminded me that Melbourne Cup Day at Randwick is actually a really fun meeting to to be at it. And I thought about that. You know, well for a hundred years the Melbourne Cup's been a great race, but it's also been a, it's also been great to enjoy that race from from Sydney as well because the whole country embraces it well you know why can't it be the same with these two meetings on Saturday and it's not every year that the Caulfield Guineas is on Everestate last year the Caulfield Cup was on Everestate and I and, you know we we had a we had a runner in the Caulfield Cup so I flew there to be a part of that race meeting so you know for us it's about opportunity for good dolphins horses where designer Shag Mohammed's horses will go best and you know we we, we respond accordingly year by year but some years we've had better chances in the everest than others and uh two years ago that was that was bivouac you know and it was a pleasure to be a part of that watching bivouac run you know run a brilliant second there he backed it up by winning the the, the vrc sprint the dali sprint at, uh, at flemington the start later so look, Helen, i think it can work It's about manifesting some positivity about about the about the entire situation and yes these jurisdictions are Evidently, competing with each other for eyeballs and for for, for betting turnover, uh, but these, um, these races are fascinating races, and uh, and and the you know the, they're not just competing with each other. Sometimes they're competing against themselves. The Caulfield Guineas, the Corfield Guineas, is a great point. You know, is a great example of that because the ever since the Coolmore Stud Stakes was taken on such prevalence, you know, the Caulfield Guineas has lacked as much depth as it's had in other years. So. You know that's all. That's all interesting, but it's all in the mix. And uh, and as for owners and trainers, that they're, they're everyone's doing their best to you know, maximise the opportunities that are coming their way. And, and for as long as that's the case, and that's what we will keep doing. James,
0: as always, good to talk to you. Thanks, Ellen. Well, Max, another major participant in the big race on Saturday is jockey Karen McAvoy. He joins us too. Karen, good to have you on board. Yeah.
1: Morning, Helen. Morning, Max. Well, Karen, uh, you know uh, more about the Everest as far as being on horseback is concerned. Having won three classic legend, uh, one of your winners, of course, is regarded as uh, as possibly winning the best Everest. Uh, what's your opinion on that?
3: Yeah, I think um, he was pretty good that day. He was, uh, he was, it was a was a red hot pace, and he, he sat back off them, giving them. You know, ten lengths at the six hundred, and um, I probably would say that uh, he was probably top of the tree in regards to my three Everest, and um, you know he was a fantastic racehorse in his own right. So I'm not sure what the the race rated like in terms of um, the data and whatnot, but I know he gave me a pretty good, pretty, a pretty special feel. That's for sure.
1: What do you regard as the major attribute of an Everest winner? I know ability would play a major role, but early speed, but you said Classic legend got off a hot pace.
3: Yeah, I think it's um just the ability to finish strongly. Um, you know, I was able to, I suppose, dictate the pace a couple of times on Red Zell and and then Classique was um the you know, the luck probably a lucky recipient of of a really fast pace which suited him in the in the Everest. So I think being able to adapt and the, you know, the key is, is to be a high-level sprinter and, you know, the the, the Everest is not class of classified as a group one, but we all know that it is a group one and, you know, you need a, a top-class sprinter to to be able to get the job done.
1: Your Mount Shinzo uh, uh, pulled up lame uh, after, after his last start. You subsequently barrier trial him. How did he feel in the trial? He felt great,
3: actually. He's a horse that I've ridden a few times in his preparation and um, I've gotten to know him relatively well without having had a race ride on him, and um, he he seems to have seems to have improved. I, f- I feel from from the first time I rode him after the Golden Rose to now, I rode him twice this week, and uh, I really do feel he's he's moving well and, and seems a horse that's happy in himself and injury free, so to speak. So I think um, Chris and his team. I know he's done some some work with his barrier team just to change a few things around and. And he was getting a bit of a concussion feel to his heels, and they've uh, amended that now. And he he seems foot loose and fancy free, which is which is which is going to be exciting if he's there in good form. I I really do feel this horse can run a great race. He's a quality individual, and um his work this week suggested he's happy and, and pain free.
1: Foot loose and fancy free, Karen sounds good, mate. Uh, what about the three-year-olds <laughs> against the older horses this year?
3: Well, it's it's. um been shown in previous years that if they're a top line three-year-old they can make their their way into this race and um there's two this year in Shinzo and and Cylinder and um it's it's easy to say that they deserve their spot in the race and I just feel with that weight pull it's it's going to play an important role again they 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 get in really nicely at the weights with only 53 kilos on their back and I think my horse deserves to be sure in the betting he's he's beaten Cylinder home um in the golden slipper and and had um you know a few excuses in his in his last run, so um, I, I really do feel that um, that, sh- they, that Shinzo definitely deserves a spot in this year's Everest.
0: Well, whatever happens, Karen, he won't be retiring to your place like classic legend. He's a colt <laughs> no, with a little right. bit of money, isn't he? How is classic going?
3: Great, yeah, he settled in fantastic. He's uh, enjoying retirement, and um, he's he's made a few friends with a few of the little ponies there and the kids have had a few rides on him, which has been great. He's, he's, a, he's got a lovely temperament, uh, plastic legend, and um, I, I always enjoyed riding him just, just purely on the fact that he was a gentleman and, and it's, it's, it is a great feeling to have him at home now and, and to see the kids riding him around and enjoying him is, is, is even better.
0: Karen McAvoy on Hoof on the Till. And talk about significant players, Max. Another mayor who's trying to become the first mayor in the history of the Everest to win the race is alcohol-free. She's owned by Yulong and Sam Fairgray, who's the Chief Operating Officer with Yulong, joins us now. Sam, good to have you with us. Thanks,
4: Helen uh, Great to be uh, on the show.
0: Now, let's just remember or let's just recap this mayor's quite brilliant career in Europe and also... The fact that she sold just, it's not even quite a year, is it, for 5.4 million guineas at a Tattersall sale last year?
4: Yeah, she's uh, obviously, she was a fantastic uh, and still is a fantastic racehorse and uh, she became available for sale and uh, it's not—it's very rare for um, you know, fillies of her uh, quality to become available on the open market and uh, Mr Jane thought it was a great opportunity to, um, to add her to um, our racing and eventually Broodmare uh, band.
0: Let's look at her role in the Everest, if you like. I mean it wasn't always clear that she was actually going to run. I mean you were obviously uh, you had a couple of options, not just with the slot itself in the race but also for her going forward.
4: Yeah, absolutely obviously um her coming out here and acclimatizing she had the the one run in the autumn and then uh, uh, gay and Adrian went about preparing her with the idea of getting her to the everest um. But obviously, along the way, there's a lot of steps, and and we we're always guided by the horse, and uh, and she sort of um, she was going extremely well, and uh, we wanted to see um, after her first up run, uh, she performed well, and then we wanted to see how she, you know, she came through that, and and whether she still had that. Um, speed in her legs and uh, or, or she needed, you know, to go over a bit of extra ground. So um, we gave her that time and we waited. And, uh, you know, just last Saturday, she worked uh, very well. And, and again, uh, Tuesday morning. Um, so the, the green light came on that uh, we're all systems going to the Everest.
0: So in the end, Sam, gray, what do you think realistically where do you think she will finish on Saturday?
4: Look, it's going to be all about the speed and the race for her, I think. I think, um, you know, as long as there's plenty of pace on early, which generally in these big races there are, and she'll uh, she'll find a nice spot, I think, just beyond midfield. And uh, they'll be uh, knowing that she's, uh, she's there in the last 100 metres because I think she'll be hurtling home.
0: Well, she's certainly in good hands. I mean, the trainers may not have won the race yet, but the jockey certainly has, Craig Williams.
4: Absolutely, he's uh, he's won it and, and uh, been runner-up, um, and uh, obviously very very hungry after uh, being uh, removed from uh, the uh, what would have been probably one of the favourites this year. So, um, you know, he's he's a fantastic rider. Um, he will know every race that she's running, where she's you know been placed in the, the run um, and how she's best performed. So uh, he's an outstanding rider and uh, he'll give her every chance.
0: Sam Fairgray is the Chief Operating Officer for Yulong and you're listening to Hoof on the Till. Well, Max, let's just take a step back. I mean, all this hype, all this talk about all these horses in the Everest, how good a field is it? What do you think? I mean, what's your view?
1: Oh, I think it's a very strong field. It's difficult Helen to to gauge potential but somebody that can give us an insight into the figures and the potential is Dan O'Sullivan and I believe we've got him online.
4: Hi guys.
5: Dan how strong is the Everest this year? Look I think Max it's a solid addition of the race Um, at at least on pre-race form we don't know what will come of it we may get a horse that it really spikes and comes to match some of the highest rated winners of the race. But what I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a solid addition and a very even addition. It, it takes me back to perhaps the first uh, edition in 2017, won by Red Zell, where I think from memory it was $5 the field, a very open race. And yeah, it looks like we have that again with, with numerous potential winners, I think.
1: What is your highest rating? Sprinter in the event so far.
5: I've got Classique legend is the, the highest rated uh, sprinter. It's 111.7 on, on my scale. Uh, look, he was he was brilliant that day. He he bolted in. It was a really hot pace uh, there set by Eduardo from memory, and and he stormed to victory won by about two lengths off the top of my head and, and put a gap on another very good sprinter, Bivouac, um with the rest behind him. Uh, next to him would be Nature Strip, just about two-thirds of a length below in, in 2021. So at the moment, those two stand out as, as clearly that the two best winners we've seen of the Everest in, in the six running so far.
1: How does the Everest rate with the other great Group 1 sprints in Australia?
5: Oh, look, it's right up there. The TJ Smith has... has long been probably the highest rated sprint race in Australia. And look, it's been a little bit higher than the Everest so far, but certainly horses like Nature Strip and Classic Legend have have upped that average. Um, But look, I expect in time, uh, the Everest being in the the spring and the the TJ being in the autumn, that they'll end up sort of around on par as as the two best sprints on the Australian calendar. Uh, The champion sprint, uh, at Flemington, and uh, the Flemington Carnival has also been a, a high rating race over the years, um, but perhaps uh, in perhaps more recent times, it's starting to get knocked about a little bit by the Everest naming.
1: Perhaps a horse like I Wish I Win could become even better, but I, I just wonder about I Wish I Win over the 1,200 metres at this stage of his career, at this stage of his preparation, but then the Peter Moody influence, I think, has possibly taken that into, into consideration.
5: Yeah, look, he's an interesting horse. He, in the autumn, he won the TJ, and that's the the highest rated uh, performance coming into this race of of any runner. He was brilliant that day, beating Giga Kick uh, on his merits, and and we know how good Giga Kick has been. Uh, Look, what I will say is that at this point in his career, that really is a spike performance. He's got a number of other very good runs in his career, but they're no better than many of the other contenders in this race, so... If if you like, I wish I win. We're really leaning on that one, winning the TJ, um, which is at the same track and distance. But it was a heavy track that day, and the race was run at a very very fast speed, uh, perhaps faster than than what we're likely to see on Saturday. So um, look, there's there's reasons I think to make a case for I wish I win. But if someone said they wanted to take him on on, on some of those uh, factors that I just mentioned, then then yeah, you know, I certainly wouldn't debate that.
1: Big about it too is a remarkable horse. You know, his will to win. Um, is really outstanding. But, again, he hasn't met a field of this quality. Do you
5: think he can rise to the occasion? Yeah, look, I think he's nicely positioned as one of the leading chances. What I like about him is, firstly, he's won 10 from 11 and perhaps should have uh, won his third start where he was beaten at Warwick Farm, of all places. Um, But this horse has just continually elevated his performances uh, with each start uh, through to last preparation where... He culminated winning the winning the Stradbroke, and and before that, uh, he won the uh, Kingsford Smith Cup Group 1 Wake for age and then he resumed this preparation, and although visually he wasn't impressive, he actually rated on par with his previous best. So for me, for a horse to do that first up, and when we know that he's been set for the Everest, that I'm sure there was a little bit of improvement left, I think he has got a really nice platform going into the Everest to produce a peak performance, and and that's half the challenge for, for any potential winner of a big race is to be able to turn up on the day ready to produce a peak performance. Uh, look, he, he he will need to, to run that peak to win because I expect the standard to be a little bit higher than, than the best we've seen from him so far. Uh, but he's certainly got the profile to do that. And after the barrier draw, he's also drawn to, to get the right run as
0: well. One of the other horses that in a way is a wild card, but on her best form internationally she should be considered a real chance in this, is of course the mayor alcohol-free. The headlines say she's a $10 million mare that was bought, well, less than a year ago from one of those big Tattersall sales. How do you rate her chances?
5: Yeah, look, she's a, a really interesting runner in the race. Look, on her Australian former, and you couldn't possibly have her, if, if that's all you looked at, you'd say she, she's outclassed in the race. But that's a little bit misleading because prior to coming to Australia in the UK, she was a genuine. Uh, Group one mayor. And just last winter in July, she won the July Cup. Uh, And in that race was a horse we're familiar with, Artorias, who ran third. And and she was around two lengths ahead of him and and produced a rating that would well and truly win this race or require something very good from one of the others to match her. So, look, again, you're putting a lot of faith in, in just one or two of her past runs that could win this race, especially what we've seen from her recently. Um, but the talent is definitely there, and you're getting a huge prize, something like 50 to 1 to speculate. So uh, one of my theories about backing long shots is you always want them to have proven in the past that they've, they've shown the talent to win the race, even if they're out of form, and she definitely fits into that category.
1: Dan, the tsunami of uh, prize money at Ranwick, of course, has taken the, the edge off the Caulfield meeting, which, again, as I said before, is, was one of the great meetings. But how do you assess it on Saturday?
5: Look, I think it's still a really good meeting, Max. And, and to be honest, the combination of the two meetings, we've seen some stories in the news about Racing New South Wales working with the Melbourne Racing Club to, to try and maximise the outcomes on the day in terms of race scheduling and things like that. I think it's set to be a brilliant day's racing, maybe one of the best uh, days across the board between Sydney and Melbourne on, on the entire calendar. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we get to see you know, Caulfield Guineas, looks a, a very uh, Good race with a few potential winners. Militarised coming down from the Golden Rose step. is a really promising uh, Victorian uh, three-year-old on the way up. Uh, he's still unbeaten, five from five. Uh, we get to see uh, Amelia's jewel, of course. She's going around in the two-rack. A lot of hype around this mare. as potentially one of the best horses in the country. She She's still got to take a, a step or two to, to prove that. Um, but she continues to, to meet all challenges put in front of her, and, and this will be another test with, with 56 kilos as a mare, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, yeah, there's a few other good uh, support races on the card as well. Uh, the Scalacci Stakes, we see a for our Uncommon James uh, are both uh, good sort of sprinters just below that top level. So, yeah, I think that there's plenty of interest there. And, and across the day, as I said, it's shaping up as one of the best days on the calendar.
0: Dan, it's interesting you say that and and mentioning the fact that um, Channel 7 will be working both sides of the fence, if you like, covering both meetings on a an apparently equal footing. And yet the Guardian was reporting within the last week that the, the Everest is the race that split the nation. Maybe this day could be the race in future that gets every all the parties back to the negotiating table.
5: Yeah, well look, it's it's there's no denying it's become a massive event, the Everest, in terms of public interest and, and even punter interest. And and the Melbourne Racing Club have made a point that um on, on the days that they've shared with the running of the Everest, the you know, lifted their meeting as well in terms of wagering turnover. So, look, I personally have no issue with individual states sort of pursuing their their own goals, that they're responsible for maximising racing for their participants. But it also makes a lot of sense on days like this for the parties to get together and and chat and sort of work out how they can, you know, maximise outcomes for, for both in the day. So, yeah, I think it's really good to see that they've done that on on this occasion for this big day and yeah it'll be interesting to see how it comes together on Channel 7 I think um, based on what they've done in the past I think it should be yeah great days viewing for, for punters and just anyone that has an interest in racing whether you're betting or not.
0: Dan O'Sullivan thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Dan of course is from the Ratings Bureau on Hoof on the Till. We touched on this at the start of the show, the fact that The Guardian has run a, a short but significant series of articles over the past week written by Anne Davies looking at various aspects of racing in Australia, particularly in New South Wales. And one point they made was that, uh, well, one headline was the race that split Australia, how the Everest triggered a bit of New South Wales and Victorian feud. Now, they also look at the um, question of where horses are being rehomed in New South Wales and also about the relationship between media, racing media and racing New South Wales. And Shelley's with us now, Max, of course, the syndicator and uh, always journalist and broadcaster. Shelley, good to have you on Hoof.
6: Thank you, Helen, and good morning to you and Max.
0: And what's your perspective on that? Is that a fair headline, Shelley? Has the Everest become or is it the race that split Australia?
6: I certainly think uh, racing New South Wales under the direction of Peter Valandis have done an amazing marketing job. I don't know that it's a race I admire particularly, given that the way it is set up. But um, it's trying something new, and it certainly has garnered publicity. Although just looking at tomorrow's program at Randwick and at Caulfield, they're both great programs. And there's a lot of money at stake, but the most interesting program is at Caulfield because there's such a variety of horses, ages, distances, where at Randwick, you start off with the St. Ledger, uh, which has no stakes reference, and it's a half-million-dollar race, and then things deteriorate, rather, and you've got three races over 1,200 and one over 1,300. You do have the King Charles, but it does appear that there's a, an agenda in New South Wales to try and uh, diminish the value of stakes races. And I would even say in particular the, those that pertain to Phillies and mares. So it looks like an anti-breeder move to me.
1: Shelley, look, I take your point about Caulfield and I, I, I do think it's a fascinating meeting. But uh, look, Peter the Great has built up or contributed to the, the improvement of this meeting. Once upon a time, we would all be down at Melbourne for the Caulfield Guinea's meeting because that's where that was the heart of racing and it's still a vibrant center. But he's built this this program up like you. I'm not overwhelmed in the Everest as a race. It's a group one standard sprint, a great promotion, but it has everybody in Sydney talking about Sydney racing, betting on Sydney racing. And the moves. You might have a point about um, this uh, the, the overall programming and some of the races at Ranwick, but by gee, the King Charles III is a good race too. And, and it's a 1600 meter race, the best mile in Australia, Mr. Bright's side's there. I, I do think that the improvement in Everest Day and this weekend's program is an example of it, racing is the winner here.
6: Oh, Max, I'm not disagreeing that racing is the winner. And it's just that for so many years, uh, you and I have been at Caulfield on Caulfield Guineas Day and it was always a fabulous, fabulous start, to the, the, the real start to the spring carnival here. And now we have everybody split between states. Well, not everybody. We have a lot of people split between states because of the money being hurled around in New South Wales. And I seriously worry Bit, whether it is sustainable to um, keep hurling money at these pop-up races.
1: Well, again, it's uh, the money. The money tree can wilt over time. I, I always remember when the AJC had to cut prize money, and the spokesman Jack Ingham said, "Well, you can't pull your socks up if you haven't got any." So uh, I, I am aware of the fact that uh, it can run out. But Shelley, I think it'll run out quicker in Victoria than uh, the New South Wales at present. Very, very buoyant, uh, I'd say, the financial situation. Certainly, the, the Caulfield Guineas is, again, an, an intriguing event.
6: Oh, it is. and, and you, and you um, Probably some of the New South Wales form or Sydney form is going to be very relevant in the Caulfield Guineas. I, it'll be a great test for uh, the star three-year-olds here, like Stapati, but horses like Militariser, uh, to me, are coming into the Caulfield Guineas with the correct form line.
1: What is your opinion of I wish I win in the Everest?
6: Well, his trainer, Peter Murdy certainly made the case that he didn't want to draw uh, in, and he has, and I don't think the Everest is a race with enormous pace this year. It might play against I wish I win, because he just... Looks to be the horse that might get buried back in the field. Um, I mean, I think Joe Pride holds the key to the race, obviously, with the, with his two runners.
0: Shelley, another thing that people are talking about in terms of racing, and one one race that's still for most Australians front of mind, of course, that's the Melbourne Cup this year. No Melbourne Cup parade in the streets of Melbourne.
6: No, and the excuse from uh, racing via uh, the VRC is that it, it's due to. Ongoing road works and tunnel works in Melbourne, but I can't where the Melbourne parade, uh, the Melbourne Cup parade, has gone to and from in in past years. I cannot see uh, that there's any real impact from the current road works and construction works in Melbourne. However, um, last year there was a notable protest on uh, the the day before the Melbourne Cup by um, anti-racing. Do-gooders, but they've been, they, uh, they've been there for years.
0: They've been there for years because I used to cover that parade for the for the ABC, and there's always yeah, a, a handful just local. in front of the cathedral.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, well, last year there were quite a few more, and they changed. They shortened the route, they halved it, and they ch- and they changed it. Uh, they sort of reversed it to try and negate any impact by the protesters. But what what's most telling about it is this year, I think they thought they were quietly dropping the parade, and they had not applied to the Melbourne City Council for any co-funding for it, whereas in all previous years, bar the COVID years, uh, it was a combined effort from Melbourne City Council and the VRC. But this year, they did not apply for that funding at the requisite time, so they obviously knew many months ago they weren't going to hold a Melbourne Cup parade, and they're having some sort of... um, uh effort on the banks of the maribyrnong uh, not they haven't announced any detail yet but if i'm thinking of the stretch i'm thinking of of the banks of the maribyrnong which is a bit beside flemington racecourse they're not going to be able to fit many people there
0: yeah, well that's interesting to know and they uh, my understanding is they've applied for funding next year and i i guess i mean maybe let's look at the parade i mean in a sense maybe It's been running for 40 years, since 1983. Maybe its time has come. But the sadness of that for, I think, thousands of Melbournians and visitors will be they won't see the horses.
6: And that's right. And, I mean, to to encourage any newer people to racing, I think they've got to see the horses and and fall in love with the horses and fall in love with the whole uh, romance of racing, which in this age of the punt is... is is sadly becoming very lost. And you've got a couple of generations now who've had very little to do with animals full stop, let alone alone racehorses.
1: Ladies, 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 just understand one thing. The Melbourne Cup just ain't the same. Racing just ain't the same. But rest easy because we've seen the best of it. And let's hope what's left can kindle the future generations, to get as much enjoyment out of it as we have.
6: Well, Max, I mean, that's an interesting perspective. We probably probably have seen some of the best of racing, and it is time for new ideas and and a a younger throw at the stumps. But there don't seem to be too many young ones sort of coming up and wanting to promote racing in in, in any shape or form. They want to promote betting, but they don't want to promote racing and the horse. And, and that's very noticeable. with if you're watching, um, I'm not so sure about the free-to-air coverage that might have, have uh, more horse-related stuff. But certainly it does, the it racing does. channels does it. The, the four racing channels. I mean, it's just a, a a nodding head fest to to betting.
0: Shelley Hancock's, as always, good to talk to you.
6: Thank you, Helen, and um, have a great day at the Everest tomorrow, Max.